Heavenly Father, thank you that you've gathered us this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our precious Savior. I thank you that he has accomplished your purpose regarding the provision of salvation, really uh, offering up himself as the perfect sacrifice sufficient to pay for the sins of the world. And what a marvelous thing that is to consider, the, the expanse of it, the scope of it, the, the depth of his own trials required in order to accomplish it perfectly. And yet that is what was done and that work has been finished. And now the rest of the plan of salvation goes on uh, according to your perfect will, Heavenly Father. So we we would just honor you and praise you and uh, bring glory to you uh, in that regard. And may we uh, be an example for others of what a difference it makes to to know our precious Savior. What a difference it makes. Father, thank you for our nation. We pray for it, as we always do, and lift it up before you, even though it is so far astray from the principles, spiritually speaking, also so far astray from the principles upon which it was founded, of liberty and rule of law and quality, because you have created us as those who were in your image and those who were destined for such a high purpose. So, Father, I, I pray that in our nation these goals that are so high and heavenly would be honored in our government, in our leaders, and in each step of the chain of authority all the way down to the local levels, and our individual participation, Father, in this republic. On every level, Father, we pray that you would be honored and glorified. And we know that's not true. So many have never known your love or, or your grace. Others have known and turned aside Many have compromised for the sake of position or power or wealth. So, Father, I, I just pray for our leaders who are, it seems, so far astray that you might limit their evil, that you might uh, even draw them to yourself, and that you might change the course of this nation. And Father, I just uh, pray that we who know you and are grieved when we look around us, seeing the culture destroyed from the Judeo-Christian foundations of the past, turned over to lawlessness and evil in every way, Father, and we see the evidence of that around us uh, every day. So I pray, Father, that as we grieve, we would nevertheless remember that you were the one still in charge. You were the one still accomplishing your purpose, and there may be maybe many who are open to the good news of grace because of their circumstances that have come upon them. So, Father, I just pray that we would be encouraged, we'd be bold to reach out and speak. Many need to hear from us. So, Father, I pray that, that they would, that we would not be intimidated and silenced by what we see when we're disappointed and we form groups to study your word and many join in and and then 
some turn aside and and yet father it's not the numbers that's important we know pray that we wouldn't be discouraged in that but encouraged because of those that remain and those that are committed to opening your word together and we certainly pray for members of our group who reach out and a number do and reach out often and pray father that they would be satisfied to see your good hand at work in their midst and may they be bold and may they be confident and committed to the work at hand father we thank you for all things but father for our children grandchildren uh, who've gone off into college beginning there or continuing there. Father, and there, there are a number in that situation. And we pray for them, Father, because they, they are being constantly assaulted by the enemy in every way imaginable. And uh, just pray, Father, for their strength. Pray that you'd also build a wall of protection around them for they are and as we are as well, not strong enough in ourselves, but always need your help. So, Father, we just look to see how you'll work there. So, Father, uh, we just thank you and praise you as we have opportunity now to open your word together and pray that it be a great blessing to us. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, we will, I hope, I still hope <laughs> that we'll be able to finish our uh, overview of uh, the themes in Romans dispensationally considered today. And uh, it'll be hard, so let's just get right into it. Last time we looked at a couple of words that revealed those powerful themes in the letter. One was faith, one was sin, and sins in the plural, and another righteousness. And uh, well, it was certainly a blessing to me. I hope it was to you to consider that. And as we saw how uh, Martin Luther was so totally transformed as he came to grasp on to the true meaning of justification <laughs> or righteousness being imputed by God, Christ's own righteousness imputed to our individual and personal accounts by God himself. So uh, praise God for Luther and how he was so bold to pursue the truth. And then when he finally had it to, to present it everywhere, wherever that led, whatever the consequences might be. And we certainly saw what some of that was all about last time. <clears throat> So, Father, uh, God uh, blessed Luther in such a special way, giving him that understanding. And he's given it to us, too, of course, if we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith. We believe the gospel of grace. We're going to look at that word today. And uh, I'd like to just directly get into that without a further review. We'd sure like to review last time more, but let's just get on the words we will focus on today. We could focus on more. The words on the list are 
and these are remember in the order of their usage there in Romans. The next on the list uh, after righteousness is spirit, 34 times, then flesh, 25 times, then grace, 24, reckon, 20, gospel, 14, and wrath, 12. And I've decided that for our study today on the themes revealed there, that it would be beneficial to look at only three of those themes, one grace, another gospel, and finally wrath. So we'll begin with grace today. And, uh, oh my, there's so many wonderful verses that uh, just stand out and sort of need to be read, but we can't read them all, so uh, we'll just limit ourselves to a few. So first we'll look at the key places these words are used. So for grace, we'll begin with Anne reading Romans 3.24. Anne? Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Anne. Oh, my. Justified. We already learned much about that before. That means to be declared righteous before Almighty God, right? Being justified, not based on our works, but freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. What a wonderful blessing. And then... uh, Reading a little more, um, Gail, chapter 11 of Romans, verse number 6. And if by grace, then is it no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. And you can see why I selected verse 6, right, Gail? Yes. <laughs> what a verse indeed. <laughs> oh, Paul <clears throat> states things so powerfully and with such clarity, doesn't he? How can anyone miss this? It just like stands out. It's like a lightning bolt has struck us and we finally see, oh, grace and works. No, they do not. <laughs> they're not compatible really in the plan of God, right? Right. And if it be works, then it's no more grace. There you are. Otherwise, work is no more work. So, (laughs) oh, praise God. He's made it so clear, hasn't he? So thank you, Gail. Okay. um, And I'll read one verse uh, right at the end of Romans uh, chapter 16. You know how Paul opened with grace and peace right at the beginning. But at the very end, Romans 16, 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Praise God. Ah, The letter begins and ends with this word grace. So certainly that's a major theme. Grace, um, the grace of God is at the heart of our salvation but also at the heart of our sanctification. 
and uh, we could comment a lot on this subject. In fact, we could take the whole time and just talk about grace all by itself and nothing else uh, if we wanted to spread our uh, review of the themes here uh, out another week. But I've decided to do it all today. So I'm not going to say that much about grace. It is something we talk about all the time in any case. And as we go through Romans, it'll be a major, major focus. But let me just say one thing, that uh, grace is not only at the heart of our salvation, but also our sanctification. And I think we, we've seen that because of an often reference that we've made, which was to Romans 5.17. Remember that. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, you know, that's actually saying something you might not have noticed before. And I, I can say that it's a possibility for you because it was certainly a possibility for me. I've often, very, very often, not thought that deeply about what verse 17 actually says, um, at least that one part of it. I've all, also, I've always thought, uh, well, the abundance of grace is something we must receive, right? And if we don't, we're, we lose a lot. And I think I've said that here, too. Well, that's true. It is true, but there's no limit to how much abundance we can receive through life, right? But we have to start somewhere. And uh, I think that's really the point of it here. All believers today, all those saved by grace through faith, have already received the abundance of grace, because if they haven't, how can they be saved, right? That's what Paul says God is doing today. That's what he's working out today. And so the gospel itself is the gospel of the grace of God. And that's referred to in verse 17. By one man's offense, death reigned much more. They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, you see. So when do you receive the gift of righteousness? But at the point of salvation, right? And the promise is that we reign in life by one. And that's where we live. And that is what Paul has written there in Romans uh, so often, right? So really, grace is the center of our salvation. And then, because the living is very much a part of it, and Martin Luther learned of that back there, you know, when... Uh, he read there how the just shall live by faith, right? So you're not only saved, but you need to live also. We must. We really have it set before us as our constant goal and objective that we would be living also by faith and grace. So grace and faith go together. Um Always, they stand or fall together, and uh, praise God, therefore, for them. So now, grace. Now, let's go on to consider the next theme. 
And that's kind of where I'd like to focus the most here this morning. And that's on gospel. And the reason we need to focus a lot on that is because there's so much revealed here in this letter about that. Gospel. Even though the word gospel only appears 14 times in Romans, and others, other words appear much more, those other doctrines are being used to undergird, really, explain the whole backdrop, the whole context of this teaching on gospel, because it really was the gospel of the grace of God that uh, Paul received, through which he was saved, and uh, and then uh, on the basis of which he lived. And it was the, the very center of his ministry, always, right? The gospel. And so, uh, even though the word is only found 14 times in Romans, the concept behind it is prevalent everywhere you look. And so I'd like to begin today, Lewis, if you would read for us that section, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the call of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. What a statement that is. And I felt that all seven of those verses were, were really important, and that's why I asked you to read them, Lewis. Uh, it really sets the stage for the whole subject of, of this great theme in Romans, the theme of the good news, the message <clears throat> that brings <laughs> all the goodness God has to us, uh, the gospel of, of the grace of God. And Paul mentions here, the gospel in uh, this way, verse number one, right? The introductory verse of the letter, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. And indeed, he was there on the road to Damascus, separated, called out for this great purpose, to be a witness to all of the good news concerning Jesus Christ, right? Now, I'll comment more on that as we proceed, but uh, let's also, though, as we uh, look ahead here, Patty, I'd like you to read uh, another verse, and those will be the two that we read today, and that is in chapter 1, verse 16. Patty? 
<clears throat> for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. So Paul had every reason, humanly speaking, to be ashamed because uh, he became an outcast. He became an enemy because he preached the gospel, right? And he could easily have withdrawn from that great purpose, that, that great mission that he'd been uh, commissioned for by the Lord Jesus uh, and just uh, fit in, you know, taking it easy uh, and tried not to be so much of an issue for those that had... Uh, really uh, no interest in the gospel of Christ at all because they were caught up in some kind of false teaching, human religion, satanic uh, lies, whatever it might have been. And so he could easily have compromised. He could have been ashamed, therefore, of the gospel of Christ. He knew it was true, but he could have turned aside, but he did not. And uh, the reason he didn't is that this was where the power of God was unto salvation and nowhere else. So it is the gospel of Christ that itself, those very words contain power and they're used as the instrument uh, of salvation that the Lord God uses to, to bring people into the faith. It is the words of the gospel of Christ that have that power. So uh, that's what he writes here in 116. And he says, uh, the salvation is based upon their faith to everyone that believeth. And that's not only Jews, but also Gentiles. And that was a remarkable thing indeed. Uh, and so Paul, as apostle of the Gentiles, makes that his uh, primary message. As he goes forth first into the synagogues, preaching to Jews and Jewish proselytes, but uh, then leaving those synagogues and going out, establishing uh, assemblies of the body of Christ, right? So the church was formed one city to the next through his missionary journeys. Okay, so now what is this all about? The gospel. What can we say about it? Um, well, the gospel is the message of God's redeeming grace. It is the good news concerning the accomplishment of much, not all, but the accomplishment of much of the plan of redemption. Okay, so the gospel is what reveals that plan so that sinners who are under the wrath of God, may receive it and be delivered from the consequence of their sin forever, right? Um, so to leave behind this hope, <laughs> hope so kind of thing, based upon lies, which only leads to eternal separation from God and uh, from, to, to punishment forever, to leave that behind and to take instead a heavenly hope of presence with the very Lord Jesus. So that is uh, what the gospel communicates, right? That's the most precious gospel. 
gospel message, a precious good news indeed, a wonderful thing. But Paul was told that his understanding of that would not happen all at once, but that it would take place over time. And I'd like to introduce that to you now. It's an important thing to understand that the Apostle Paul would begin with an understanding and then uh, his understanding would be rapidly uh, increased uh, as the Lord continued to teach him. But that would take time. And uh, we read about that in Galatians 1, actually. If you read the accounts of Paul's salvation in those early days of, of, of his uh, salvation experience, you don't read anything about this. It, it just talks about him going, uh, you know, arriving in Antioch and, and, and so forth and so on. And uh, it talks about him going away for a while, coming back. But it does not reveal what's in Galatians chapter 1, because there we see Paul giving an overview of his salvation experience, uh, writing to the Galatians there. And this is what he writes. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned then again unto Damascus. So here we see Paul um, taking a, a little detour. And it was ordained by God because... Uh, uh, it had been uh, made clear to him, and we'll see in a moment how it was made clear, but it was made clear to him that he must go apart and be further taught by the Lord. And, uh, and so this is an amazing thing. He goes off, in, he says, into Arabia. Hmm, what is in Arabia? Do you remember? Mount Sinai <laughs> is in Arabia. And you might wonder whether Paul went to Mount Sinai. Remember who went there before, right? And it was uh, Moses himself. He had gone to Mount Sinai, had he not, and he'd gone to the top. And there uh, he had received a great revelation from Almighty God. In fact, the law was given to him there. And so it was from Mount Sinai that the law went forth. Now, Moses was apparently taught by angels. Of course, other scriptures make that clear, right? But Paul was taught by the risen and ascended Christ. So he goes off to Arabia. It doesn't say here quite why he went there in Galatians chapter 1, but it does say something about that. In a different account that Paul gives, where he gives an account in Acts 26 about his salvation experience. And I'll read from that for you now, beginning in verse 12 of Acts 26. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, 
At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But arise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and these are the words I wanted you to see today, and of those things. So to make thee a minister both of these things which thou hast seen, in other words, the risen and ascended Christ, right? And of those things in which I will yet appear unto thee. Okay, so here it says very clearly that Paul would receive future teaching from the Lord himself, right? And going on here, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So that's Acts chapter 26. So Paul had already learned of the resurrected Lord, but he also would be learning more as the Lord continued to reveal himself to him and to teach him of the depth of his work according to grace. Okay, and that's what Paul fills his letters with, you see. Okay, and and we could go on and we could see how he began then his earthly ministry after going to Antioch, spent some time there and then was sent forth with with um, with Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And he went from city to city. But uh, when he went into the synagogues, he preached to them Christ Jesus raised from the dead, okay, and by him, the forgiveness of sins. This is in Acts 13, where we see the very uh, words that he used there in the synagogue uh, at that time. And so what does he say there? Verse 39 of Acts 13. By him, all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Okay, so that was a part of that gospel of grace that he preached from the beginning, the first missionary journey, first words that we have recorded of his in that mission. Okay, and in reading just a few verses later, we see what happened then in that synagogue. It says, um says there that there were many that refused the message. Verse 41, uh, Behold, you despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you, which is what he was doing, right? 
And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath, right? Those were the uh, Jewish proselytes, these Gentiles, that seemed to be uh, quite open to the message and want to hear about it next time around. And then verse 43, Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So you see there's a development here. First of all, they hear a message. It's a message of the resurrected Christ, right? It's a message of justification. But he goes on and he, he says he need to continue in this message. And they tell him <laughs> that's what they want to hear. They want to hear more about grace, right? Not less, but more. And so that's a wonderful thing to see here. Paul's ministry then, his first missionary journey began with him teaching really the wealth of grace. And that's something that uh, he expresses in his reference to the, the, the concept of gospel a little bit later, too, in the letter. In fact, at the very end of the letter, he mentions this aspect of the gospel which had been revealed to him. And I, I think this was the part that was revealed while Paul was in the wilderness in Arabia. He calls it there, my gospel, and, and, uh, and, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began and that's a verse I'd like Elizabeth to read for us Elizabeth if you can read for us that amazing statement there Romans 16 verse 25 now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Amen. Okay, so Paul now, in addition to calling this my gospel, which is a very uh, special term, my gospel, and other places he calls it our gospel, to distinguish from others <laughs> that were not really the gospel at all, right? And he says here it, it has the power to build us up, to establish us. Uh, that's something also that was mentioned, you remember, uh, later in Paul's ministry when he's on his way to Jerusalem, he stops in, Eph he stops in Ephesus and preaches uh, there to the Sorry, he stops and calls the elders from the church in Ephesus. And there he speaks of being established, being built up by the gospel of the grace of God, right? He says it's able to build us up and give us an inheritance. So praise the Lord. Um, there's so much content there. We have a wealth waiting before us of content here in this letter 
that I just can't wait to get into. Beginning next time, we'll begin with verse number one and uh, look at this uh, letter dispensationally speaking. Should be quite a time indeed. Now, there are other places Paul mentions the gospel here in Romans and also in other places. But I'd, there is one verse which I'd like Lydia to read. That That's a verse that's not in Romans, but it's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. And I think it's an important one indeed. So, Lydia, if you'd read for us 2 Timothy 2, 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Thank you, Lydia. Very good. That we'd be exhorted this way is interesting, um, considering that uh, the resurrection of Christ is so central to the gospel itself, right? But I think it's important to, to, to remember it in a special way because everything really goes back to that. Remember uh, what Paul opened the letter with, those first verses that, that uh, uh, we had Lewis read there a while ago, right? It wasn't only Jesus Christ according to the flesh, in other words, a seed of David, right, that uh, was important. It was important indeed. But it was what happened then after he was given over for our sins and died for our sins, was buried. And then what happened after that is that he was gloriously raised from the dead. And Paul writes of that in various ways. And I'd like to leave you with those references today as we close, because uh, Paul makes very much of the fact that Christ is raised, and he writes about it all the time, and he says that it has implications regarding not only our salvation, but also our sanctification, because, in fact, we have his life, and it is his resurrection life, and that really changes our whole perspective on everything, and Paul writes about that in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, in verse 16, in this way, he says, chapter 5, verse 16, 2 Corinthians, he says, and you might be shocked by this statement, but it is a shocking truth, and true how transforming it is to know Christ. He says, wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. Hmm. How can this be, right? <laughs> we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. We'll have to ponder that and the full meaning of that. I, I can't explain the whole thing to you right now because... I don't have a full understanding. I think what he's saying there is that our growth and understanding will continue. Yes, we look back. What do we what do we think of when we look back on Christ? We think back on how he was born uh, of the seed of David, right? Just like Paul begins there in the first verses in Romans, right? 
according to the flesh, that was the Christ, according to the flesh. It was his earthly descent down through a line that came from David, right? All the way down to Joseph and down to Mary. And he says, uh, however, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Why? Because of the resurrection, as uh, Romans 1 verse 4 said, right? Raised from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, right? And that resurrection has brought forth so many blessings. Not only our declaration of righteousness, but also his life being shed abroad and shared with each of us. So we have Christ dwelling in our spirits, and therefore we we know him in a spiritual way. And so all of this is contained in these few verses, you see. So, wow, Paul really packs a lot in there, doesn't he? And uh, I just find it incredible, really. Um, I'll I'll read as as we uh, come to a conclusion today, just from a couple of places. But one is, uh, well, I think we'll just limit it for lack of time. But in in Romans chapter 4, you remember how he wrote there at the end of the chapter concerning the imputation of righteousness. He said, Concerning Abraham, he he had righteousness imputed to him because it was by faith alone he had believed what God told him regarding the coming offspring, right? Coming child. Uh, He believed God. And um, says this is a model for us and the same has happened to us, right? Verse 24, but, or 23, it was not written for his sake alone, (coughs) excuse me, that it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So, So this message, this truth, uh, very much focuses on the resurrection of Christ. So much was dependent upon that and brought into being, into reality as a result of it, for all of us who would later believe. And that's the message that Paul received, transformed his life. It's a message that Martin Luther received, transformed his life. Also later, you know, 220 years later, John Wesley received it, transformed his life, and they all dedicated themselves to preaching uh, the message that had transformed them. So I guess the question would be, they followed in Paul's footsteps, are we, right? Uh, Big question. But there is one final word that we have to end on today, and we'll quickly do that because the whole gospel is in the context of sin and wrath, you will remember. The sin brought the wrath of God. All born into this world are under that condemnation. For the sin of Adam has been imputed to their accounts, right? And so 
wrath is very much the background of the gospel and the good news. And that word is found uh, 12 times in Paul's letter to the Romans. And there are two places uh, that I'd like to read, and then we'll close with that. Uh, First of all, I'd like Linda to read from Romans chapter 1. This is a statement indeed that uh, all should know, right? Romans 1.18. Linda, would you read that for us, please? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Oh, thank you, Linda. There's a lot there, too, much to look at some other time. But uh, just uh, at the highest level, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Indeed, it's revealed from a high level, from a high point, right from heaven, he says, even. In other words, all should know about this because the heavens declare the glory of God, right? And uh, so much is seen there. We can can know from the creation itself the eternal power and glory of Almighty God, right? And therefore, uh, the place of sinners underneath that revelation in the creation, right? The wrath of God, therefore, revealed from heaven. Okay, and then... Uh, I'll read this final verse today, Romans 5, 9. All about wrath, but you notice how justification is brought in and also also blood. Uh, Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Hmm. So, the shedding of his blood led to Christ giving over himself unto death, right? Uh, And uh, therefore, uh, he was able to pay the full penalty for our sins. And then he was raised gloriously from the dead so that we, by this great gospel, this good news, could be saved by faith, from wrath, through him. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So wrath is God's response to sin and sins, uh, but uh, apart from redemption, uh, all would be judged, right? And his wrath would be finally uh, fulfilled in that. So as a result, In the same way, God's wrath was poured out on sin and sins on Christ himself in, on Calvary. His blood was poured out uh, uh, to pay the full penalty. So praise God for the redemptive truth of the gospel. God's wrath, therefore, also is at the heart of the gospel because the true witness of the gospel The true content includes the preaching of his wrath against sin and sins. So much more than being now justified 
by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. Well, that message transformed the lives of those we looked at, but also ourselves. And uh, praise God for where we stand today. Uh, before Almighty God, he sees us as uh, sitting at his right hand there in Christ Jesus. He sees us righteous with the very righteousness of his son. Praise God. Well, this is transforming indeed. And uh, uh, may we be a witness to it. May we be a light in the darkness. May we bring words of, of um, grace and love to those around us. May we bring the word of grace always and not be silenced by the uh, outworking of sin in our midst surrounding us displayed everywhere. May we not be focused so much on that, but on the glorious revelation of God's wonderful grace. And that's where our joy is when we rest in him. So praise the Lord. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Are there any any comments today? This is the end of our review on the themes in Romans dispensationally considered just by looking at the words themselves. Any comments today? Okay, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you, thank you. What a blessing to have your words up before us, to open it together. And uh, I'm always encouraged, Father. I thank you for those opportunities that you've provided and this one today. We know that many will ultimately listen to this uh, over the technology of our day that makes it so readily available. And Father, I pray that many would receive precious word of truth, the gospel of their salvation and ours. And Father, I, I thank you that we have opportunities to be a witness. Praise your heavenly and holy name, Father God, for this great privilege. We thank you in Christ's name and amen.